Now we're very close to the end in our consecutive expository series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, This will be the next to the last in the series. One more next week. But this week, kind of wrapping up the second part of of the mini-series entitled The Christian in Gospel Armor. Uh, And we are going to, last week, we looked at the foe that we have, the malevolent enemy that we face and his minions that Paul talks about in verses 10 through 12. This week, our scripture reading begins at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. Once again, I'd remind you, this is the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention and appreciation. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. May God add the blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Holy Word. Let us pray. Father, once again we ask for Your help illumination of the Holy Spirit that we might understand your word and might apply it to our lives. Lord, uh, be able to apply your victory, Lord, in us because of our great victorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. We ask for this help now in his name. Amen. Well, many of you know at least about, or you've heard at the very least, about a famous old book back in that time, like I talked about last week, an old book. I showed you The Christian in Complete Armor and told you that was kind of the twist in the, in the uh, uh, sermon that, uh, and the uh, na- name, The Christian in Gospel Armor. It's a little bit of a, of a twist on that old one. But that book by Gurnall, the Christian in Complete Armor. There was another more famous book, though, in that time, and it was written by John Bunyan, The Immortal Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, probably read probably more than almost any book outside of the Bible itself uh, through the years in the last four centuries or more. Um, however, a lot of people don't know that wasn't the only book that John Bunyan wrote about spiritual warfare, a book involving spiritual warfare. It certainly is in in Pilgrim's Progress, but it's much more so in the book entitled The Holy War. And I bet you even more people don't know, even if they know that, they don't know that's not really the title of the book. That's the short version of the book title, The Holy War. Let me read you 
the real McCoy. Let me read you the book as it's originally titled, the full title. The Holy War made by King Shaddai upon Diabolus for the regaining of the metropolis of the world or losing and taking again the town of Mansoul. <laughs> How would you like me to start giving out um, uh, titles like that? Um, you'd, you'd be asleep before you finish the title, probably. Um, but you see, Bunyan, though, was setting out like Paul before him. He was doing the same thing Paul was doing you know, 16 centuries before. He was setting out like Paul before him, to inform every Christian that whether they know it or not, whether they want to believe it or not, they are in a spiritual struggle against spiritual forces of darkness that are unseen to this world. You can't run up and grab them. You can't go up and punch them in the face. They are spiritual forces in heavenly places. And every believer is a soldier in that unseen battle, whether or not they realize it. And if they don't, they are going to have a more difficult time. You see, we do indeed have, as I said last week, a malevolent enemy who's opposed to God and to his people. He can't really get at God because he's not omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He's not. He's not omniscient, we said last week. God is all-knowing. But he does everything he can to besmirch, to fool, to get us off track, focusing on the wrong things, buying into the wrong things that purport to be truth. But Paul is telling us in this little series how we can overcome these hostile powers and stand in evil days and evil times, despite the onslaughts of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We, as I said last week, must not underestimate the powers of darkness. But this is where it hinges. Last week, we focused on the malevolent enemy. This week, we're focusing on our mighty warrior, our mighty warrior God. Now, as for outline, it's very simple. Two things today. What is the armor of God, and how do we put it on? How do we put it on? What is it, and how do we put it on? And I'm going to suggest to you that what I'm going to say today may not be a typical message that you've heard on this passage, because I think Frankly, a lot of people trying to earnestly understand this passage get down into the weeds so far they lose the forest. They can't see the forest for all the trees. And I'm going to try to give us a higher level and a more clear understanding of what Paul is really driving at to help us be able to stand in gospel armor. So, First point to consider, what is the armor of God? Now, our text, obviously you know, Paul uses six pieces. Some people think seven, but I don't think prayer in verse 18 is going to, is really part of this 
armor that he's talking about. So Paul refers to six pieces of what was the, what then would have been ancient soldiers' armor to form a depiction of spiritual protection against our enemies. So he's using and calling upon this imagery of soul, a soldier being clad in his armor as a way of helping us understand how we can overcome our enemies and stand fast. But the use of armor imagery here is fluid. You need to be careful not go around allegorizing the armor. Well, this one means this, and this one is different, and it means this. You can get far off and in, in dazed and confused uh, circumstances if you do too much of that. We should not go around injecting allegorical meaning into Paul's pieces of armor. For example, some people say, well, you see, the helmet of salvation shows us that the, we need the helmet uh, to protect uh, our ability to think clearly and our capacity for thinking. So we have a helmet to protect us so we can think God's thoughts after him. What? <laughs> That's not from the text. Paul is talking using a bunch of metaphors, but they really are all pointing to the same thing. More on that as we go along. You see, many people think that Paul's warfare imagery came from Paul perhaps in a jail in Rome. Remember, that was where he was probably writing to the Ephesians. He was in Rome and imprisoned. Uh, being watched by the Praetorian Guard. And many people think that perhaps Paul was sitting out and thinking and watching these soldiers go by and win their armor and all that and said, you know, hey, I think that would be a really, let me think about what, what piece of that armor would that be? And, you know, how would that affect us spiritually? Yeah. Some people think that's how Paul got this imagery going and sharing it with the Ephesians. I'm not so sure it is. It's possible But rather, I think it's more likely that Paul was drawing from from the Old Testament in general and very specifically from the book of Isaiah. Or as our chaps across the pond say, Isaiah. Um, The book of Isaiah. Uh, um, Let me me just give you just a few of of the examples. Listen here to all of these warrior images that are found in Isaiah. Isaiah eleven five. Isaiah promised a savior for whom righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah eleven five. Didn't, didn't you hear something like that in Paul? Secondly, Isaiah promised a savior who would put on righteousness as a breastplate. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen. Paul said something about that too, didn't he, in this text. Isaiah also promised how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those bringing good news. Isaiah 52, 7. Feet, preparation, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul, again, makes that allusion. Isaiah also promised a Savior who would wear the helmet of salvation on his head and he would put on the garments of vengeance and wrap himself in zeal as a cloak. Isaiah 59, 17. Puts on 
this warrior puts on the helmet of salvation. A lot of parallels there, aren't they? And I don't think they were meant to always be. Paul used these things sometimes differently. In some of his other, his imagery is slightly different. Or he highlights something else. That's why we can't get into this means exactly this. He's driving at a bigger purpose. You see, Jesus is this warrior, savior. And all the armor metaphors are different expressions of trusting in this great mighty warrior. Jesus is the one who is the mighty who is mighty to save and he is the one that will deliver us from our enemies not ourselves. Now that's essentially what the armor it's really talking about a call to live in light of the gospel. Understand in spiritual warfare you need the gospel. You need the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done and accomplished. So how do we put it on? What I just read to you about these imagery from Isaiah, and again telling us, who's the warrior? You? Me? No. It's Jesus. He's the warrior. He's the conqueror. He's the one that can enable us to stand because he withstood all that the devil could throw at him and more and rose victorious, conquering. This should be something that feels a little bit refreshing if you've read as much in Ephesians as many times as I have and have gone through as many studies about the, the armor of God. But, no doubt, many of you are probably a lot like me. Maybe you were taught that powerful truth. Or excuse me, maybe you were not taught. Big important word. I even highlighted it in big bold letters. And then I skipped right over it. You were not taught that gospel perspective about all of these things just pointing to ways in which you're just in every way thinking of how the gospel helps you in, in the battle and how it, it serves in all of these ways to strengthen you in the battle so you can stand. Maybe you were not like I was not taught and like my friend Scotty Smith was not taught. I want you to listen to what he says and I want you to see if you can't identify maybe some of you. Now, some of you may be going, I don't know what you're talking about either way. But think about this. If you grew up in a Christian home and you did a lot of, were in churches for many years, see if any of this doesn't resonate. Scotty says, this insight has given me tremendous freedom. In other words, the thing that I was just talking about, that it's really the gospel. It's, it's sinking your faith deeper into Jesus. It is, it is trusting him. That is what putting on the armor of God, it really is all about. He says, this insight has given me a tremendous freedom. As I'm still learning the less than Jesus focused spiritual warfare teaching, 
I received as a young believer. Back then, I got the impression that God and Satan were engaged in a battle of, with an uncertain outcome. A lot of people think that today. Having given me all the weaponry needed, God was up in heaven pulling for me. Come on, Joe. Come on, fight, fight the devil harder. I gave you all this, all this armor. If we claimed the right promises, we were told, named and reboot the right demons, keep out ourselves distance from the devil's influences and where that may be, and wore the whole armor of God all the time, then we would enjoy the victorious Christian life. <laughs> Do you understand how impossible that is? How frustrating that is? Scotty says, how tired, how fearful, how self-preoccupied can you get? That's not good news, folks. The gospel is good news. It's not telling you to do something. It's telling you something has already been done. And it's changed everything. And you just got to get deeper into that reality. You've got to trust more firmly, more wholly, more completely in Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on him. You've got to keep focusing on him. You keep trusting in him. Because he's the victorious, mighty warrior. Remember what Paul said in verse 10. What did he say? How did he start this whole whole t- uh, ver- uh, section off? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You don't have the might. You don't have the strength to battle unseen demons and the forces of hell. You, have, you and I don't have a chance against that. But one has done that and accomplished and won the victory. You see, that's just another way of saying, abide in Jesus. Remember John 15? Jesus said, abide in me. What does that mean? Trust in me. Lean into me. Count on me. Don't look to yourself, your own resources. Look at me. Trust me. Believe what I say. You see, that abiding in Christ and his word We most effectively engage in spiritual warfare by living in union and communion with Christ. Closer to him. Communing with him. Living connected to him. Remember, I've used an analogy before. It's like Jesus. We're plugged in to him. He's the power source of our life. We do not have any chance of victory if we go it alone. And try to do it for him. And so many of us have tried that. And you know where it led you. You see, most of us, we need to remember that Jesus is our divine warrior who wears the whole armor of God. <laughs> the, really, the whole armor of God, the hope for us in this imagery is that we realize that Jesus is the real warrior. And he wears the armor of God that he used to defeat the powers of darkness. 
most of you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? <laughs> Probably almost anyone remembers the story. And of course, you know also probably how uh, when David uh, was getting ready to face the giant, Saul decided, uh, uh, okay, come on, David, come over here. You're kind of a scrawny, runny little guy. Um, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my armor. Now, Saul was what? <laughs> he, he was huge. He was picked partly because he was big, powerful. You know. So he tried to put Saul's armor on David. They tried to put Saul's armor on David. And you imagine David, what he probably, you know, clunking around, you know, he could, couldn't hardly move. And he basically said, I can't do this. I, I've got to go with what I've got, what God gave me. You know how the story ends. But you see, a lot of us are running around like David in Saul's armor. Instead of being in God's armor. You see, David in Saul's armor results in defeat and failure. You and me in God's armor, which really means we are connected to the victory of Jesus. We are in Christ. And we've already won the victory. The victory is secure, and all we need to do is hold on to Jesus and stand firm in it. Years ago, Dr. John Gerstner, who, by the way, was a mentor and a professor of the late R.C. Sproul, he spoke uh, at a Philadelphia conference uh, in, in, in uh, Philadelphia, uh, a theology conference, uh, on the language of the battlefield. And Gerstner described in that, uh, con- that, that, that uh, setting, that lecture he was giving, he described four great battles. And I believe we have a slide. I think you can hopefully read those there. Um, f- Gerstner said there are four great spiritual battles. First of all, the battle of Satan against God early in the history of the universe. Which Satan what? Lost. But number two, the battle of Satan against man, particularly Adam, the first Adam, without the God-man, Jesus, there, guess who won? Satan. That's why you and I are all in the mess that we're in. The third battle was the battle of Satan against the God-man, against the second Adam, Jesus, where Satan thought he had won by killing Christ but he actually lost. And then four, the battle of Satan against a man, Peter, our old friend Peter, who was joined to the God-man Jesus by faith and trust, where Satan also was defeated. Now, Gerstner says this. He said the two important points there are two and four. Two and four. The losses, that's really what you need to look at. But how different those losses are. Gerstner says, in battle two, Adam seemed to have everything that he needed. He had everything. But he lost. He and Eve lost it all. Paradise was lost. 
Why? Because they tried to do it apart from God. In their own strength, with their own wisdom, trying to figure out how to interface with the serpent. The second one is battle four. There, Peter, the blundering ox, seemed to have nothing. You know, you've read, we just went through Mark not long ago. How many times Peter bumbled and blundered his way through? Peter seemed to have nothing. He was sinful. He was weak. He was proud. He was vacillating. And yet he won ultimately. How in the world did that happen? How? Because Jesus was on his side. Jesus was with him in the battle and he prayed for Peter. Peter, I am praying for you that your faith will not fail. And he knew it would, he would fail in a temporal sense, but he knew that he would get up and eventually strengthen his brothers. That was because Jesus had prayed for him. The strength came from the real warrior, not Peter. Peter failed, but he got up. And in time, he strengthened his brothers. Let me tell you who else, speaking of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, who else got up? You remember in Pilgrim's Progress, some of you, Peter, uh, um, uh, uh, Christian's battle with Apollyon, the demon from hell? They engaged in the battle, and it looked like, it looked like Christian was going down for the last time. He had had his sword knocked away and he was about to be, had the final blow applied. And yet then he, he, he calls out as he reaches for his sword and he calls out and from Micah, um, let's see, seven, seven, eight, uh, Michael, Michael, not six, eight, seven, eight. Uh, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I am down, I shall arise. And he also then said, from Romans 8, you know, he, he made the declaration from Romans 8 that he who is for me, you know, who can be against me? And he went on from there and won the victory and, and caused Apollyon to flee. Again, I want you to listen to this. this uh, you see, Peter, Peter learned that only as he was united to Jesus Christ, could he stand his ground and be victorious. That's why I said you've got to be a Christian in gospel armor. Not armor you make, not armor someone else gives you, that which Jesus has supplied to his people through his own victory. You ultimately aren't going to do it. He has done it. And you now rest and stand firm in that, come what may. You see, Paul is, um, listen to this, listen to this, this is a really another good quote. This is actually a quote by Gerstner, um, again, on victory. He says, that man, in all his pristine glory, made in the spotless image of God, with holiness, righteousness, knowledge, was able to, to be brought to ruin by satanic temptation, prove that we, we never of ourselves are 
able not to sin. But no matter how weak our faith, how meager our discipleship, how much we shame the name of Christ and have so often to repent and turn home again, no matter how we fail because we are united to Christ with a love which will never let us go, Satan, with all his craft and power, cannot stand against us and we will conquer him. Even in our best condition, we cannot meet Satan. But in our weakened, weakened and debilitated state, sinning far more than we live virtuously, we are able to conquer him because Christ has given us the victory. You see, that's, it's, it's all about faith. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the victory of Jesus. You know, you've heard me say how much I love that hymn, His Be the Victor's Name. His be the victor's name who fought the fight alone. Triumphant saints, no honor claim. That's you and me. Their conquest was his own. To whatever degree that we come through and have victory, it's because of his victory. It's because of what he did and accomplished for us on the cross and in his mighty resurrection. You see, Paul is using this armor imagery as an amplifier. He's using it as an amplifier to blast out loud to Christians that are facing foes greater than they are. But they don't have to be afraid if they are trusting in the great warrior in Christ. Wearing the armor is not about Becoming like Christ enough to beat defeat, defeat Satan. That's not what it is. You will not be able to do that. But about staying safe in his finished victory. That's all the difference in the world. If it's about you going out there and picking a fight with the powers of darkness and hoping that because you got a few tips and your Bible verses you can win, eat you alive. All of us. But if it's about saying, Jesus, the victory is yours. You have won it. I am yours. You bought me. I belong to you. Defend me, O Lord, when I am down. Enable me to rise in your strength, O God. You see, Paul talked about in Revelation 5, 5. Or not Paul, the writer of the uh, the writer of the book of Revelation, whoever that may be, um, actually is John. So one of the elders in verse five in verse uh, chapter five verse five said, one of the elders said, "Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. It's finished. It's been done. The victory is ours, and ultimately." No power of darkness can harm a child of God. Oh, we we can get fooled. But no ultimate harm can come because of Jesus' victory. And he will lose nothing of what is his. You see, Paul is urging his readers to stand firm in the gospel. 
The armor that you put on is the gospel. Trusting in Christ. Believing that what God has done is enough. It is not in your doings or mine or any other, but in his and his alone. And you rest and stand firm in that. Don't get knocked off of that perch. Stand on it and keep your eyes on Jesus. You see, the powers of darkness were definitively defeated at the cross. And now under Jesus' feet, they are now defeated foes under his feet. And more and more, Paul has the audacity to say elsewhere in Romans, as long as we remember who must win the battle and how to stand in gospel armor. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. If we're in him, abiding, aligned with him, in him, trusting in him, we too will win, but only in his strength and in his power and trust in him, not in ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Father, once again, we know that the victory is not ours. His, your son, his be the victor's name. Father, we give you glory and praise and thanks for sending the victorious Savior, the mighty warrior that would come in the armor of God and would win the victory and conquer sin and death. Father, help us not to get led astray and off into uh, just things that ultimately are not, not where you want us to focus. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and trust in him more and more resolutely, more and more unafraid that his strength is enough. And Lord, we look to that and we pray for that, that we might stand because of the victory and the strength of Jesus and his accomplishment. Father, feed us and encourage us with that today through the Lord's Supper that we are about to take. And we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.